بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم محمود نسلی اللہ رسول کریم امباد الحمد للہ جنائی از دا ٹوینٹی ففتھ آف فیبروری ان دی ایئر ٹو تھاؤزینڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی فور الحمد للہ وی موڈ آن ٹو دا of the noble companion Sayyidina Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu So the next section entitled Our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa appointing Sayyidina Amr radiyallahu as a commander Our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa thus naturally had a great love and affection for Sayyidina Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu and realized that he had, i.e. as shown, sacrificed a lot of his hard-earned wealth upon embracing the glorious truth. Thus, he now wanted to both honor and also recompense him. So, like I mentioned a few sessions back, the Prophet was missing him and he then mentions one of the great traits of Amr. He would always bring huge amounts of wealth whenever the need arose. So the Prophet ﷺ wanted now to honor him and also recompense him in the best of ways. So Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu he said, The Prophet ﷺ once sent a message for putting on my attire, taking the weapons and then going to him. I did as ordered and I respectfully presented myself before him. He وسلم, was performing wudu and he then shot a penetrating glance at me and then he lowered his head. So picture this, he, he's told to come with his battle attire and present himself. So he quickly presents himself and the Prophet وسلم, was doing wudu and Amr said, he's, he goes, he suddenly looked at me but then he lowered his head. He then said, I want to dispatch you as a commander of an army. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep you safe and provide spoils for you. For I wish for you the pure wealth in a goodly way. I thereupon responded, Ya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I have not embraced Islam for the sake of wealth. Rather, I have embraced it for my desire for it. He thereupon smiled and said, Ya Amr, What a blessed, pure, what a blessing pure wealth is for a pure man. So let's look at this. So this is recorded. In Ahmad in his Musnad, number 17,763 or 5-272. Hakim in his Musnadrak, 2-3 stated Sahih. Zahabi Sahih. Tabarani in his Awsat, Tabarani in his Kabir. Behaki in his Shu'ab iman number 5,503. Ibn Hibani in his Al-Mawadid, number 2,277. Abu Ya'la in his Musnad, Abu Awana. Hafiz Bahubi in his Sharh sunnah number 2,395. Bukhari's Al-Dabal Muflad, number 300. Al-Isaba, volume 3, page 
Mishkat number 3756 or volume 2 number 99 in the chapter on provision of a government officer. Al-Hayatami in Majma al zawaid number 15897 or volume 9 page 353 stated Sahih. Fattal Badi 16-196 Sahih. Al-Fattal Rabbani 21-140-141. al Ahadith volume 4 page 614 of the New English Translation. Ayat al-Sahaba volume 2 page 195-6 of the New English Translation. Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullahi stated Sahih in his checking of Al-Dabal Mufrad As-Sahiha, number 174, and Ghaya al-Maram, page 261. So this is a flawless report, recorded all over the place. So, looking at it briefly. So when the Prophet said, I want to give you pure wealth in a good way. Amr, obviously he wasn't offended, because the Prophet never offends anybody, but he was kind of shocked because he was thinking maybe the Prophet is thinking that I've embraced Islam for money because I didn't embrace Islam for money I embraced it because of my desire but then the Prophet obviously knew that but then he said Ya Amr what a blessing pure wealth is for the pure man in other words you're a pure man you're Rajul Salih and the pure wealth is excellent for you. So now, again, note the endless praises of Amr radiallahu. Thus Amr radiallahu was undoubtedly a man of taqwa. Why? Because our beloved Messenger said, وسلم, there is no harm in wealth for he who was taqwa. But good health is better than wealth for he who was taqwa. This is recorded in Ibn Majah, number 2141. And Shaykh al-Bani stated Sahih in As-Sahiha, number 174. So look how beautiful. Is there any harm in wealth? No. As long as you've got taqwa. That's the condition. If you haven't got taqwa, there's harm in it. But then the Prophet said something which is very important for us to register. So Good health is better than wealth for the one who has taqwa. So what does that mean? It means Iman comes first, then health, then wealth. How tragic, many have completely reversed this. Money comes first, health, yes, Iman when I've got time. So again, it's not what you think. Is what is mentioned in the revelation. So if, imagine, you know, let's put it bluntly. If you are a billionaire and you've got taqwa, but you haven't got good health. So picture that. Billionaire, taqwa, man of taqwa, but he's got poor health. Then you get another person, penniless, Good health and taqwa. Who's better? And people start thinking about it. What are you thinking about, brother? Right? Meaning, wealth can never equate to health. This is what the Prophet is telling you. And there's a saying that's going around that people waste their health to acquire wealth 
and then they spend that wealth to try and regain their health. <laughs> you know what? You know, look, it's like that rat or that mouse running around the wheel. You know, what a waste of time that was. You had something priceless, you wasted it on wealth, and now you've lost it, and all that effort you made to acquire that wealth, you're trying to regain what you had in the first place. Madness. And this is why, in a very famous hadith, the Prophet said, there are two things which are foolishly flitted away. Health and free time. This is in Sayyid Bukhari. So the Prophet said, health is actually, there's a time for your health. Allah has given you a time span for your health. It will deteriorate. Just like everything else deteriorates. But people waste it foolishly. And where's the proof? You know, just look at the elderly you know, people. They would now love to do Hajj. They can't do it. They wasted their life earning money. They want to do Umrah. They can't do it. How many things? And they even say, I wish I had your health. Well, you had my health. What happened to it? He wasted it. And the other thing which is wasted is free time. A Muslim should never say he's bored. Why? Because you're wasting your free time. And when your free time goes, a person then realizes, I had time, but I didn't use it. Now I haven't got time. Umar radiyallahu said, you should become learned before you become an Amir. Because once you become an Amir, you haven't got time. You think about it, you start single, you got all the time in the world. You get married, suddenly what happens? It affects your time. You have kids, what happens? Another chunk of your time goes. You become granddad, see you later, mate. You're Amir al-Mu'mineen now. Right? And then the, the granddad wants to learn about, what are you going to do now? You're, you're going to get a phone call every two minutes. Right? But you waste your free time, astaghfirullah. Indeed, in another report, our beloved messenger said about wealth for the righteous, how excellent a support wealth is towards the fear of Allah. Subhanallah. How excellent a support wealth is towards the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is in Daylami in his Musnad al-Firdos, Al-Qudai in his Musnad, Baghavi, Imam Ghazali in his Ihya, volume 4, page 121, in the chapter on patience and gratitude. So note, Islam does not look down upon wealth. But unfortunately, some people have got their own versions of Islam. They see a person with wealth and they look down upon him. Because he hasn't got understanding. And then you think, why hasn't he got understanding? Because he's got too much money. And he goes, what's wrong with money? And then he might even quote the Christian text. He goes, it's a deadly sin. He goes, welcome to, I don't know what religion that is, brother. Right? Wealth is not a bad thing. Here the Prophet said, what an excellent support wealth is towards what? Taqwa. If you have wealth, it helps you. If you have taqwa, it helps you. Right? So wealth is a good thing. And to crown it off, what did the Prophet say to Amr? What a blessing pure wealth is for the pure man. Imam Ghazali, he commented here, in his Ihya, volume 4, page 121, in the chapter on patience and gratitude, he said, How true, without wealth, Man is occupied looking for provision, clothing, residence, means of livelihood. He is faced with many hardships 
which obstruct his worship. Depriving him of Hajj, Zakat, Sadaqah and other good works. So, Hujjat al-Islam, Imam Ghazali, he goes, this is the blessing of wealth. He goes, if you haven't got wealth, enough wealth, it's going to obstruct your worship. Why? Because you you were looking for provision, clothing, livelihood. And also, you can't do many of the great deeds. You can't do Hajj because you haven't got wealth. Zakat, another pillow goes out of the window. We're going to pay Zakat, potatoes, Sadaqah, and other good works. Those wealth for the God-fearing is an excellent aid, full stop. However, for some, it is still better to avoid any unnecessary accumulation. Just as our beloved Messenger had instructed some of his noble companions, such as Sayyidina Bilal, Sayyidina Abu Dhar, Sayyidina Salman al-Farisi, amongst others, not to save anything, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. But, for others, the opposite was true. The more wealth, the better. Such as Abdul Rahman ibn Yaw, Sayyidina Zubair, Sayyidina Muawiyah, amongst others, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. It was to the second category, which our beloved messenger encouraged, Amr ibn al-As. But this is again, fiqh. Wealth is not bad, is not good. It depends upon individual. The Sahaba, some the Prophet encouraged to have wealth. Why? It would help them. Others, he'd say, don't even keep anything. So a person was contradiction. There's not a contradiction. You have to look at the individual. So who now do you turn to? Which one is? Which one am I? So if you judge yourself, everybody's gonna say, "What's good for me?" Nobody's going to say, no, no, wealth isn't good. You know, they always say, wealth is excellent for me. You need to go to a person with insight. And the person of insight needs to know you and he will call what you need. So if wealth is good, he goes, mashallah, excellent. If it's not, he will tell you too. Don't even save anything. And where's the proof? Learn your deed. Indeed, our beloved mother, Sayyidah Maimuna, Lanka, she, she related, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had also said to Amr ibn al-As the world is green and sweet hence whoever fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and does pure deeds therein he will prosper otherwise he will be just like a person who eats excessively but still never gets satisfied the distinction between these two kinds of people it's just like the distance of the two planets. One emerges, i.e. in glory in the east, and the other disappears, i.e. with disgrace in the west. This is recorded in Tabarani, Hafiz ibn Kayyib, in his Uddatul Sabirin, page 324 of the English translation. So what does this mean? So the Prophet now was, وسلم, was explaining to Amr the dunya. He goes, is uh, green and is halwa. <laughs> People like halwa, right? Somebody goes, you know, you want a matai? Of course I do, brother. Mm-hmm. Are you diabetic, right? Green halwa, even better. So the world is like that. But then the Prophet said, whoever fears Allah and does pure deeds, he is fine. Mm-hmm. Eat your halwa. <laughs> Otherwise, you are now like a person who is eating and eating, but he's never going to get satisfied. It's going to destroy you. 
And then the Prophet said, the, distance, the difference between the two is like the planets which emerge in the east and the west. Sayyidina Amr, with the prophetic guidance, thereupon thus welcomed wealth, for undoubtedly he was a most God-fearing man, with, as will be shown inshallah, a truly endless list of pure deeds, thus emerging as promised in the above prophetic hadith, as a veritable star of guidance to one and all. So he ended up with too much wealth. And I'm not exaggerating. That's why Hafiz Zahabi said he's one of the king of the Arabs. So a lot of people, again, you know, they got their own versions of Islam. They go, what's up, brother? He goes, he's a great man. But he had too much wealth. What's wrong with wealth? And again, no, where are you getting these misconceptions from? He goes, no, but isn't wealth a fitna? Yes, that's true, it's a fitna. The Prophet said, What I fear for you the most after me is wealth. Another report, he mentions women. So, yeah, so if it's a fitna, then get rid of it. It's a fitna if you haven't got taqwa. And he goes, Who said, You go in, you quote one hadith, and you're giving fatwa. Right? Classic ignorance. And the response is, You need to know how to use that wealth. And the Sahaba were guided to the best in this area. Amr was encouraged to acquire wealth. Yeah. And the other thing which is important to highlight, his brother, Hisham ibn al-As, when their father passed away, so when al-As ibn Iwail passed away in the first year after the Hijrah, Hisham was a Muslim, ibn al-As, Amr wasn't. Amr inherited all his father's wealth. Brother got nothing. So think about that. Look how interesting that is. Father was loaded to his ears. Too much wealth. In fact, one report says when the father, when the thorn had infected him and he was really ill, Amr was on his way to Taif to get a specialist doctor. But on his way back, his father died. So he ended up being the inheritor of his father's you know, excessive wealth. So he was loaded. His brother got nothing. Look how sad that was Hisham. Why? Because he's not he, he gets nothing. He's, he's not he's not a kafir. <laughs> Everything's reversed. Why is that interesting? <laughs> so you would have thought now that the Prophet would have told Hisham, you know, you need wealth, your brother doesn't. And yet the Prophet told Amr, go for it. I want you to have wealth. You know, subhanallah. And the other thing, another important point here is health. Health is more important than wealth. The Prophet said it in you know, different wordings. How tragic that health is wasted. People are bothered about their health. The Prophet said, you'll be questioned about this. Allah has given you an amanat. He's given you health. It's not yours. It's a trust Allah has given you. And if you don't even think, it, and people don't even think it's a trust, it's mine. I can do what I want with it. If I want it, Smoke 40 a day, I'll smoke 40 a day. It's not your body. You're going to be questioned about it. So when you are doing any type of exercise, whatever you want to do, with the intention of looking after the amanat given to you by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is worship. But your intention must be in place. You know, a lot of people, you go to the gym. You know why you're training? I'm getting ready for jihad. And then you think, are oh, you really, brother? Are you really getting ready for jihad? 
Are you getting ready for zina? <laughs> right? I think you zina and uh, jihad mixed up in your uh, vocabulary. <laughs> so just be honest. But just tell them, say, look with us. Mashallah, keep up the good work. But I'm giving you sincere advice. Make your intention pure. <laughs> this is an amanat, a trust. And you are doing this to look after the gift of Allah. And Allah Ta'ala will reward you for your, your curls and your dips and your squats and your jerks. <laughs> but again, you know, no intention. <laughs> Right? And what's interesting, it actually becomes a religion for these people. Four times a week without fail because we will, we will go to the gym. Well, no problem. Well, at least, you know, you don't need to go to the gym. Could be anything else you want to do. Umar radiallahu when he was Amir al-Mu'mineen, he was asked, how do you know somebody is ready for jihad? He goes, if you can jump on a horse. <laughs> you think about that, you know. So apply it to yourself. Can you jump on a horse? No. Then keep talking. How do I jump on a horse? Do what you want. Do gorilla squats. That's what you got to do. You need to jump onto a horse. So moving on. The campaign of Zatu Salas. Thus our beloved messenger, he appointed Sayyidina Amr ibn al-Asr as the commander in charge of the campaign of Zatu Salas. Why? Our beloved Messenger وسلم, had appointed Amr الله, as the Amir of this expedition in particular because his paternal grandmother was from Banu Bali. So his father's mother, Al As ibn Iwa'il's mother, was from Banu Bali. So what's Banu Bali? In Behaki ibn Katir Sira, volume 3, page 370 of the English translation, Urwa ibn Zubair, rahmatullah, he said, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sent Sayyidina Amr ibn al-As, radiyallahu, to that of Salasil in the Syrian highlands, the territory of Bali. Bani Bali were the uncles of al-As ibn Iwail. So here it's mentioned. He's going towards a location as the Amir of the Muslims where he has blood ties from his father's side in that area. So this is very interesting. The Prophet just haphazardly appoint. he appointed Amr because they had blood, he had blood ties there. Similarly, Muhammad ibn Abdul Rahman ibn Abdullah ibn al Hussein al-Tamimi, alayhi, he said, Rasulullah sent Sayyidina Amr ibn al-As to encourage the Arabs of Asham to embrace Islam. He sent him to the Banu Bali tribe for the mother of Al-As ibn Iwail was from this tribe and he would be able to identify with them due to this blood type. This is recorded in Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Hisham, Ibn Katir Sira, volume 3, page 371 of the English translation. Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 1, page 223-4 of the New English translation. So he was appointed the Amir for many reasons. Obviously, Allah is guiding the Prophet but what we know from the outward is that Allah Ta'ala wanted to bless him with wealth. Allah Ta'ala appointed him because he's going to his paternal grandmother's tribe. And he will have probably more of a say there inviting them to Islam. They may listen, they, be, they may be more considerate towards him. So note, this is also very important in terms of the Prophet's appointing uh, certain individuals. This expedition took place in the year 8 AH, 
just after the fateful battle of Mu'tah, during which three of the eminent companions of Rasulullah had been martyred. Sayyidina Zayd ibn al-Haritha, Sayyidina Ja'far ibn Abu Talib, and Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Rawaha. So, note, Amr ibn al-As had a great affiliation with Ja'far in particular. Why? Because in Abyssinia, he was the spokesman of the Muslims, Amr was a spokesman of the unbelieving Quraysh. And Ja'far is his father in terms of his deeds. All of his good deeds go to Ja'far. So another thing which is certainly worth pointing out, Ja'far has left the world, he's entered paradise. So Amr is now being sent towards that area. Why? Because he had the affiliation. Sayyidina Amr was being sent there with around 300 men or so, I to the hills of Asham, to teach a lesson to the tribes who lived there and had cooperated and joined with the Romans in their conflict with the believers and Mu'tah. So what was his mission? His mission was to teach a lesson to the Arab tribes. Why? Because they were the ones who had allied with the Romans, with that gargantuan force against the Muslims. There was 200,000 against the 3,000 believers. Most of them were Romans, but the Arabs joined in with the Romans to fight the believers. So Rasulullah couldn't let that pass. So what he's done, he sent Amr with around 300 men to teach the tribes, not the Romans, to teach the Arab tribes a lesson that they joined against the believers. On arrival there, and upon assessing the situation, Sayyidina Amr radiallahu with his keen military eye, he sent a message back to our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa that reinforcements were required. So it's a long way, i.e. You're in Sham. He was well traversed. Now this is how Allah prepared the companions. Amr was one of those rare individuals who knew a lot of the geography of the world. He traveled all over the place. He'd been to Egypt, he's been to Libya, he's been to Yemen, he's been to Syria, he's been to Jordan, he's been to Palestine, Africa, he's been all over the place. He was well acquainted with this area. When he saw the terrain and the situation, he realized that 300 men weren't enough. So he sends a message back for reinforcements. So what happened? In Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Hisham, Ibn Kathir, Sira, volume 3, page 370 to 1 of the English translation, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 1, page 223 to 4 of the New English translation. Muhammad Ibn Abdul Rahman Ibn Abdullah Ibn al-Hussein al-Tamimi, rahmatullahi he said, when Sayyidina Amr radiallahu reached a watering place called Salasil, from which the name of the encounter takes place, Dhaat al-Salasil, which was situated in the territory of Judam, he sensed danger. He thus sent a message to Rasulullah to dispatch reinforcements to assist him. He وسلم, in turn sent a squadron of a hundred or so of the earliest Muhajirun under the leadership of Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah Amongst this squadron were the likes of Abu Bakr and Umar <laughs> So Amr is not asked for that <laughs> He just wants reinforcements So the Prophet وسلم, he asked the best to step up <laughs> The two sheikhs the Amin of the Ummah these were the greatest of the greatest and they weren't 
they were sent to assist. Who was the commander of this a hundred or so, you know, exalted souls? Abu Ubaidah. As recorded in the blessed books of Hadith and Seerah, Abu Ubaidah was made the commander of the reinforcements. And Rasulullah instructed him not to have any disputes with Sayyidina Amr. So that was one command given to Abu Ubaidah. He goes, you are the commander. When you get there, don't dispute with Amr. And that was vital to, to what's going to happen later on. And inshallah, we will continue from here tomorrow. So all I mentioned today was his now being appointed as a commander and the Prophet encouraging him to acquire wealth because there's no harm for the righteous man to acquire wealth. And I mentioned a little bit about this. Why? Because there's lots of misconceptions with regards to wealth in Islam. And then I mentioned that he was sent to the hills of uh, Asham. The reason being his paternal grandmother's tribe was from there. And the mandate was to teach the tribes, the Arab tribes who would align with the Romans a lesson. And then of course, he asked for reinforcements and the best of the best were sent. Are there any questions you'd like to ask? Subhanallah bihamdi ismanika Allahumma bihamdika ashtu la ilahi inna wa astaghfirikatu kudayka wa billahi minashid ahjim subhanallah bihamdika nabbil izzati amma isifun assalamun ala al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen bismillahi rabbil alameen wal asr in insan lafi khusr ladhina amunu wa amil as-salihat wa nawasim al-haq wa nawasim al-sabr sallallahu alayhi wa sallam